I was reminiscing that the first published piece I think I ever published with Rob Jostra, my book co-writer, was in Books and Culture. Um, John took a gamble on two snot-nosed 20-somethings arguing about Wendell Berry in the pages of Books and Culture, <laughs> and it worked out <laughs> for us, anyhow. I think it worked out for you, too, <laughs> back in the day. Um, <clears throat> okay, I want to start out by reading something from an article you wrote for comments um, uh, years ago, 2011. I was the uh, co-editor of comments at the time. (laughs) She is so modest, and if you know her at all, she's unbelievably talented and also unbelievably hardworking, and she was the co-editor of this magazine, which Jamie Smith, I see a big pile of Jamie's books over there. Jamie is now editing and doing a great job, but, but this piece... Uh, that Alyssa asked me to write in 2011 is actually one of my favorite, you know, because you write, most of what you write is not something that you just think of, at least in my case. It's probably different for some people, but it's mostly things that someone asks you to write, you know, Mm -hmm. and you never know what's going to come out. And sometimes out of this occasion, it's not something you plan at all, which is the story of my whole life. I've planned Almost nothing. And I'm not <laughs> bragging. You know, I, I realize planning is really good, and some people are very good planners, but, but something just happens, and this piece comes out that you never knew you were even going to write, and it turns out that it's something that you love. You know? um, and, and, and this is one of those pieces. Yeah, it was called uh, Magazine as Microcosm, which is, right. um, and I want to ask you about that, but first I just want to read the last paragraph um, to give a taste to people who were who haven't read it, uh, which is uh, you've been talking about um, the kind of learning that we do from magazines, uh, from wide-ranging magazines, and the way that that uh, enriches our experience. You also said reading of the kind I've been discussing can easily slide into an intellectual dandyism, which I think is the fear of everyone who who reads that kind of thing. Um, And there's an ever-present danger of grotesquely inflated self-esteem, as if we too have suddenly become deeply knowledgeable about Hinduism, the history of Portugal, and the poetry of Philippe Jacotet, universal savants, and as if such knowledge somehow exalts us above the common run of humanity. This calls for vigilance, but it should not lead us to shy away from the enterprise. We are not creators, Tolkien said, but sub-creators. An ugly word, yes, but useful. That strikes me as a aside that only you would write in a piece. The little words we make in imitation and homage are bound to be flawed. Yet even the artful miscellany to be found in a single issue of a single magazine gathered from a storehouse that seems, as in a fairy tale, to always be full, no matter how much is taken out, gives us a foretaste of the great feast to come. So I was wondering if you could start out by talking about uh, what you conceive of your work as sub-creator to be when you're editing. Well, Jason, in his introduction a couple minutes ago, said something about our, our cultural moment, what, whatever that is, and probably even just in this room, um, there would be different understandings of that. And then um, Greg Thornberry is here, and uh, I had a delightful time several years ago um, interviewing 
Greg when he had just published a book about Carl Henry. And um, we talked a little bit about the way that Christians who care about ideas mm -hmm. conceive their role at, at the moment. And um, I loved, that was the first time I had met Greg in person, and I had admired his work, but I loved meeting him so much. And we talked about the difference between an embattled sense of what our position is right now, that we're, we're at the barricades. Uh, there are all these forces that are conspiring against us and um, all these untruths that are being spread and, and you're constantly trying to, it's like one of those movies where people are in a castle and they're besieged <laughs> and people are climbing up one wall and you swat them down and then they're coming up another wall and, 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 and that mentality, um, even though uh, it's not a complete fantasy, you know, it's based on real problems. It's not something that is just uh, spun out of nowhere. It's such a destructive um, mentality. And I was saying to Greg that part of the reason I admire him so much, and pe when I meet people like him, it, and people like Alyssa, it, it encourages me because they're working out of a very different sense of what our identity as Christians is. And that has to do with um, not a naive, oh, everything's wonderful because God's in charge and, you know, everything's great and why are you grumping? It's not, it's not that. But it's a deep conviction that our faith is real and that um, all will be well, and that we live in an economy of abundance. And that doesn't mean that we turn our eyes away from problems and we, and, and we tell people who don't have enough, oh, you're fine, you're fine. It doesn't mean that at all, but it's a basic orientation. And um, that may seem a long way away from what I was talking about in this article, which is a certain kind of magazine, not all magazines, but a certain type of magazine. I talked a little bit about magazines in general, and the, the word magazine, very interestingly, is Arabic in origin. And it comes from a word in Arabic that means a storehouse. Right? And um, so uh, I compared a magazine to uh, the stuff that you have in your garage. You know, and I talked about what we have in our garage, you know, like there's, when we had a garage before, it was converted to a library. That's another story. <laughs> but, um, at the time I wrote this piece, we, it was still a garage, and we had, we had some bicycles in there, and we had some badminton gear and bug spray, and, you know, and, um, and so I was saying that um, the stuff that's in your garage or maybe in the back seat of your car or in a closet that is like the universe, because reality is miscellaneous. And a magazine is a microcosm of that. And I talked about a particular type of magazine called a review. Um, and that would be like the Times Literary Supplement, the New York Review of Books, the London Review of Books, the Three Penny Review, uh, the Los Angeles Review of Books, Books and Culture, or this new thing 
that I'm doing that's going to be a digital only thing called education and culture. Uh, it's a it's a it's a genre of magazine, and and it has its own customs and its own rules. And and I talked about going down into our basement, and um, I'm a terrible saver, you know, to save things. And and so there's this huge stack of back issues of all kinds of magazines. And I just reached in for the purposes of this article. I just reached into the pile and pulled out a particular issue. From several, it wasn't that old. From the from the Times Literary Supplement, mm -hmm. and then I talked about the pieces that were in that, including the cover story by this very eminent, uh, brilliant uh, scholar of Hinduism, Wendy Doniger. You know, and it was a piece on that, and and then there were mm -hmm. two books on the history of Portugal, and so on and so on. Mm -hmm. But the point is, in that one issue of one magazine there was a conjunction of elements that will never be repeated again in the history of the world um, that could not have been predicted ahead of time. And um, in its way, that one issue is a microcosm, not just of our society at this particular moment. It's a microcosm of the reality that, um, that we inhabit. So... Um, so that's why um, I love what I do and, um, and why I think that it's, uh, that it's worth doing. Um, uh, but I think it's important that we do it in the spirit that Greg was talking about in that conversation he and I had a while back of, of a kind of serene confidence, not arrogance, mm -hmm. um, uh, not not naivete, but a kind of serene confidence that the things that we talk about, the things that bring everybody here to this church, um, they're real. Mm -hmm. So when books and culture started, it um, it had a distinctly Christian bent um, mm -hmm. to it, but not exclusively Christian. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to who read it who weren't Christian at all, but wanted the sense of what that looked like. How does that differ or line up with the other kinds of uh, magazines like it, like the New York Review or something like that? Yeah. Well, that's a really good question. Um, obviously, every publication has its own culture, mm -hmm. its own grid, um, whether that's explicitly identified <laughs> or not. Um, so if you read the new, and I'm sure some of you are like me or ardent readers of the New York Review of Books and, and um, you know that um, there's a certain um, uh, point of view mm -hmm. that uh, it's not that every single contributor to the New York Review of Books or the London Review of Books is coming from the same page on all the issues of the day but, but there's a certain um, orientation and, and one aspect of that and I have to say I mean the New York Review of Books is it's a great mm -hmm. publication, but um, uh, and the editor is one of the most brilliant yeah. um, wow. editors uh, ever. But um, they have some huge blind spots, mm -hmm. you know, including practically everything having to do with Christianity. Yeah. And um, <laughs> uh, you know, they published a piece by Joan Didion, who mm -hmm. Alyssa wrote a wonderful piece right shortly before. Um, she took this great gig at Fox, 
on, on a biography of, of Joan Didion, mm -hmm. and uh, who, by the way, and you guys may all know this, but one of the most interesting things to me, if you're an editor for a long time, you're fascinated. You meet young writers. That's you know part of the fun of it, and you're really fascinated by what interests them. You know, mm -hmm. like because what interests young writers today is not the same thing is 20 years ago. Not that they're all interested in the same thing, you know, they're, they're not, but there's certain things that stand out. And so, like, if you know young writers now, especially young women, not, not only, but very heavily skews that way, especially young women writers, it's like, you ask them, who are the five writers, <laughs> who are the five writers of all time and space, you know, who, um, who mean the most to you? It's like, more than 90% of them will have Joan Didion mm -hmm. on, that, on that list of five. And that's something interesting. It's something to think about. Why, why is that? What's the explanation for that? But, mm -hmm. um, so I'm not knocking um, Joan Didion, but, but she wrote this piece in which she was referring to evangelical Christians and, um, uh, and saying things that were so embarrassing, you know, and I wrote a letter to the New York Review of Books afterwards. I mean, like, for instance, it was saying evangelicals believe that to go to heaven, you have to save a certain number of people. You have to, you have to, um, you have to, you know, like, I can't remember if she compared it to scalps or something like that, but, you know, you have to, you have to notch a certain number of conversions, you know. And, and you know, I was saying, you know, it's so embarrassing to have a writer who is, you know, such a gifted writer saying things, and then no editor even bothered, you know, to, to intervene and save her from this embarrassment. And, you know, not only, you know, um, uh, not, not the editor himself I never heard from, an assistant editor wrote me and said, you're absolutely right, and I, I wanted us to publish your letter, but no. <laughs> and um, so, you know, um, and writers write really bone, I mean, as a writer, we write really boneheaded things all the time, and, like, editors are our saviors. They keep us from being idiots. Well, yeah. As big editors idiots. are idiots, too. That's but true. Yeah, but it's, true. it's a collective yes, enterprise. That's that right. We okay, try to help each other, yeah, you know. Yeah, that's right. And, yeah, it's just shocking. And that kind of stuff <laughs> happens all the time, mm -hmm. you know. So, yeah. So would you say... Um, Books and culture and Christian review of books generally is trying to fill a gap that is yawning, or does it have a different vocation, a different place in culture? Or uh, Christian writing? I'm sorry, writing I didn't explain. I'm, I'm just probably obtuse, but it's the you know dazzle of New York. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not. Yeah. Well, so I think about it, for instance, um, that my job as a writer who is fluent in Christian, um, more or less, uh, is to help fill some of those blind spots and say, there's all this stuff that I read and enjoy, and I love Joan Didion as well, because um, she writes perfect sentences. But I also have a perspective uh, on the world that isn't maybe shared or normal in some of those publications. Um, and But I, I sometimes have trouble putting my finger on what that what I'm actually trying to do. Am I trying to convert people? Am I trying to enrich a view of the world? Am I trying to show that Christians aren't nuts? Like, what am I doing? Um, and I don't know. Okay, yeah, well, first of all, I, I don't think that there's any one model. Um, 
I think that, um, uh, for instance, I love pugnacious writers. You know, what I said earlier about a certain stance that we take, our fundamental stance, someone could hear what I said and, and without any fault misconstrue it and think that I was saying um, we should always be ironic a word I've come to hate, you know. <laughs> it should always be ironic, you know. That's what it means to be... No, no, you know. I mean, there's the whole spectrum, you know. I mean, um, and there's no, there's no one way to go about it that is the right way. It depends, first of all, on, on your distinctive abilities as a, as a writer, as, as a person. It depends on where you are. It depends on the circumstances. And, and you know, one of the most influential books that I read in my whole life was Notes from the Underground. Mm -hmm. And I think, I'm not sure, I think I was 15 years old. It was either 15 or 14. I read this book and it was like, in a sense, um, it was like that, when I was reading that book, I became intellectually an adult because um, the twistiness of the human mind it was something that you know we all have, and you know obviously I had it from the time I was born, but it was the first time I had read anything that so unerringly expressed the infinite twistiness of our of our consciousness, you know. And so you can get into these convolutions where you're saying, "Oh, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna be ironic. I'm not like those awful." Christians who uh, are always fighting the culture war and all you know all this sort of thing and you and that's you know that's a truth that just in itself you know I I can I can sign on to but but the problem is and that that becomes twisted into um, a way to uh, feel superior mm -hmm. a way to avoid uh, possible risk to yourself mm -hmm. by by uh, criticizing things that should be criticized, because you know, if you do that, you're going to get you're going to get lumped in with people who you actually disagree with, and you say, "I'm not with them. I'm not that kind of a Christian." <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. don't don't let me in with them. You know, mm -hmm. and on and on and on. It's we're so twisty. So you have to say um, uh, there is no, and you have to be generous to your fellow. Mm -hmm. Like that's one of the things that that drives me nuts, mm -hmm. including among a lot, of, a lot of my friends, yeah. you know. Mm -hmm. Like I was telling Eric, you know, Metaxas is, you know, one of my dearest friends that, um, you know, I, out of the blue, this guy attacks me on Twitter a few days ago and yeah, calls me happens. a quizzling. <laughs> and I couldn't, I couldn't understand why he was calling me a quizzling. And it turned out because, because I, and he linked to an interview I did with Eric and in the interview, I didn't say, and this was even before, you know, the Eric's true nature became clear. <laughs> <laughs> but, but in the interview, I didn't say, um, I, you know, I distanced myself from you, you know, uh, you know, and I, so, so I hate the spirit of, mm -hmm. um, I mean, I, I want to have a big tent. And then I also want to be able to be belligerent and sarcastic and, <laughs> you know, we have arguments, you yes, know. Yes, we do. And, and. <laughs> So, um, you know, like a family, you know, mm -hmm. and so I don't have any prescription in that mm -hmm. regard except to try, you know, try to be truthful, 
try to try to work from the standpoint that there's this ultimate mm -hmm. co confidence and and um, not be on the defensive all the time. Yeah. That's a terrible whatever you're doing, yeah. you know, in yeah. life. That's a terrible posture. So. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking about that more also in a broad sense. So most people here, I think, are readers more than writers, perhaps. Um, and uh, we're speaking of Twitter, living in an age of like distraction, just distraction. And it's hard to read. It's hard to feel as if there is a purpose to reading things that weren't published yesterday um, because they feel perhaps irrelevant or as if they're addressing as a, you know, maybe they're about something that doesn't seem like it's going to fix our world, whatever is wrong with it. Um, but I've seen your office, um, <laughs> which uh, was sort of like a, it's like a lab, it was a labyrinth of books. It was like you, you kind of poked your head around stacks and but you always knew where everything was. Um, but what is the purpose of reading, not just a review, but reading broadly in an age of distraction? Hmm. Yeah, I'm not really very good to answer that because, uh, I mean, I feel like someone would be saying, well, what's the purpose of breathing? Yeah. What is this all this breathing <laughs> about, you know, mm -hmm. or like, why do you have to eat, mm -hmm. you know? I mean, can't we just, can't someone just give us a little, Silent. you know, <laughs> yeah. charge or something mm -hmm. and we'll go on for six months or... So, um, and you know what? As much as I love reading, as much as I love the whole world that it's connected with, and you know, I love what Eric is doing at Princeton, and you know, presiding over the humanities, and I don't feel like you know there there are people who don't particularly care about those things, and I I don't want to grab them by the um, because, I mean, there's a lot of stuff I don't know about. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of stuff I don't do. And um, so, I mean, I think it's valuable, but I think sometimes people like us, I think sometimes we, um, we go overboard in trying to say, you know, you have to do this, and if you don't do this, you're X or Y. Mm -hmm. or, um, so I'm not really... I've almost never tried to talk someone into that, mm -hmm. you know. I just feel like there's enough people out there. Um, uh, now, that may not be true, you know. I, you get conflicting reports. Well, you know? I, you know, so I have students in the classroom who want to read widely but feel like they don't even know where to start, uh, as if there's a program that they have to follow. Yeah, well, I never mind, like, like, Alan Jacobs wrote this wonderful book, mm -hmm. The Pleasures of Reading in an Age of Distraction. That's wonderful. And, and one thing he said in the book was that you know, when people ask him, students and other people say, what should I read? You know, he doesn't like to do that, mm -hmm. you know. I have no problem at all. You know, I mean, I'm constantly on Twitter, I'm, you know, saying, you know, uh, you know, have you tried this? And if you do read it, let me know. Cause I, and that's not just a... A token comment. I mean, I really like to hear from people and find out, you know, what, whether they mm -hmm. love this book also. And um, so I have no problem with that, but I also have no problem with with the wonderfully crotchety Alan saying, you know, I don't. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna tell you a list. You know, you find your own. You find your own stuff to read, and mm -hmm. you know. 
Yeah, and let I, a thousand flowers bloom. <laughs> I know. I always used to know when I had received a package of books from you because they were usually I didn't know why all these books were in this box. <laughs> I remember you once sent me a box containing only books about that were named for colors, like black and blue. And I don't know, it was such a random thing to receive. And I was like, oh, I know who sent this. <laughs> um, well, there's this really interesting phenomenon. And you, if you're a book person, you, you, you've noticed that you know, publishing, someone uh, comes up with a, a template, you know, and, um, uh, and, and then it, all of a sudden, uh, you know, several people are doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. And so there was this really interesting phenomenon of books, you know. Uh, one guy for Princeton University Press, he's been a, a one-man shop. You know, like he's done a history of blue, a history of black, a history of green. You know, they had this this gorgeous photo of, of Jane Fonda on the cover. And I didn't even recognize, I couldn't, I saw, it was a long time ago, okay, the photo. And, and... I looked at this and I said, who is that? Who is that? And, and so I went on Twitter and said, who is this on the cover? <laughs> and somebody said, it's Jane Fonda. But, but um, yeah, and I, I, that reminds me of fashion and it reminds me that mm -hmm. um, a lot of the life of the mind has an element of fashion to mm -hmm. it. And that drives a lot of, of people nuts. Mm -hmm. You know, they huff and they puff. Like Thomas Howard, who's a brilliant guy and, he wrote a he wrote a piece decades ago that I saved because it was so wrong, you know. <laughs> and um, it was like people are obsessed with novelty, you know. And I wrote at the time I wrote, you know, his problem is with God, you know, <laughs> because because if anyone is obsessed with novelty, it's God. I mean, just look at the look at the world we live in, you know. And if anyone if anyone has a taste for for the the uh, seemingly arbitrary and unaccountable, it's God. Like mm -hmm. He creates these sea creatures that no human even saw for most of the history of humanity until they could invent these devices that could go down, down, down into the depths. And then there are these incredibly colored sea creatures, you know. And um, so, uh, um, you know, and I hate the people who. You know, everything is about capitalism. They're just as bad as, you know, everything is about justification or, you know. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, the life of the mind includes an element of play. If it's just that, if it's just a kind of a feat, oh, you know, aren't we smart? We're smarter than everybody else. We're not like those awful people, you know, we just play. You know, then, then that's really irritating, but... but um, uh, if we're honest, mm -hmm. and movies are like that too, mm -hmm. you know, movies are, they're, they're, they can be incredibly powerful, they're, um, you know, as, as, as powerful an art form as there's ever been, but there's also all this other stuff yep. that's mixed in. It's the human mm -hmm. admixture, you know, and so um, too much talk about the life of the mind and some of the things that we're touching on here has a, a, a over... Uh, you know, self-seriousness mm -hmm. to it that I find repellent. Mm -hmm. There's a, a movie out right now that reminded me of this, which is called, I think it came out this weekend, Kedi, I believe is the name of it. It's about Ar Iranian street cats. And it just... Oh, we were going to see that last yeah, night, but we couldn't see I, it. Yes, ah. everyone loves it. There was a great piece in the Village Voice about it. Um, 
Oh, and, uh, I can't I wait to see movie. it. Yes. Yeah, no, it's, it's a cat movie about Iranian street cats, but my colleague who reviewed it for, uh, said that it's also about God <laughs> or something. Like, yeah, I just think yeah, like, yeah. that's amazing, right? Yeah. But it's not going to be nominated for an Oscar anytime soon, but, right. but it might maybe should be. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have one more question, and then maybe we can throw it to them for questions. Yeah. Let's find people. But um, I was wondering if you could speak. So um, as a person who writes reviews, people will tell me that they don't read. They read reviews so they know what to buy or buy a ticket or buy the book or whatever. Can you talk about how reviews are more important than that? Uh, that's well, my I, own bias. Show, I just, <laughs> like, I don't know. When I was early in my teens, I discovered r- reviews, and I just love them. Mm-hmm. And you know, I've read them, you know, thousands and thousands of them since then. And they're one of the reasons I love reviews is that it's a very protean form. Like people will write me sometimes, you know, write something for books and culture, and they'll say, "Well, can you send me a model review? You know, like like you know what <laughs> what you want a review to be? You know." And so I always tell them. Um, there is there is no one mm-hmm. model. I mean, a review can be um, very closely centered on the book at hand, and that's what a lot of people think of when they think of a review. Is it something that's very closely centered on the book at hand, and it evaluates it. You know, right. like this was good, this wasn't so good, uh, and there are certain. Uh, settings in which you're writing reviews where that's expected. Like, not all, but many times when someone's writing for a professional journal, the idea of a review is to to assess to what extent has this book added to the conversation on late Victorian X, you know. And you're supposed to show a familiarity with other books on late Victorian X and other things that are going on. And, you know, that's perfectly legitimate, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, uh, but that's only one way to, to, to write a review. And you can write a review that um, uh, just uses the book as a point of departure. A review can be a personal essay, mm-hmm. and that's not bad or good. You know, it can be bad or good, but it's not necessarily one or the other. And part of the reason I love reviews, and this loops back nicely to the way we started, mm-hmm. is that I love opening an issue of anything you know, the TLS, whatever. And, you know, I learn all this stuff that I had no idea that um, I was going to find out. I mean, like, and it's higgledy-piggledy. And see, again, some people have a systematic mind, like my friends who, you know, their idea of fun is reading Kant or Aristotle or, <laughs> you know, or, or someone who's influenced me a lot, but also his mind is, to me, like an alien mind. is Alistair McIntyre, mm-hmm. you know. I've read all of his books. I've read some of them three times. But he's constantly saying, like Aquinas, there are four X. There are three. And I always say, no, there aren't. There are seven, you know, mm-hmm. because, because it irritates me so much, this, this, you know, like I can divide everything up into, you know, exactly three or four or whatever. So I'm, it's not either a virtue or a fault. I'm totally unsystematic. And I love... I love turning the page and, you know, here's some little tidbit, and I may remember it or I may not. But when you do that for a lifetime, you know, all these things, um, it's like some kind of chemical bond, you mm-hmm. know, in your brain. You don't, you don't have to, it's like a kid 
learning how to talk. You know, they don't, they're not studying. You know, it just happens. And in the same way, your mind sorts out all these things and puts them together in all kinds of fun ways. And, and the more, it's good because unlike, you know, being a professional football player or something like that, you actually get better. You actually get better as you get older because you have more of these, um, you have more of these connections, you know. So, yeah. Yeah. so sorry, that was a no, long answer. No, that's good. That's, that's, that's exactly what I think critics need uh, to have the freedom to do. I mean, my, some of my favorite pieces I've ever written were for books and culture and were technically reviews, but were in no way at yeah. all reviews. Yeah. 